Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Moore Milo. And I'm Ross Ainarelli. And this is the Market Today podcast. Thank you guys so much for joining us for episode 145. This is another week where we have read a book about something having to do with business, psychology, philosophy, something having to do with forwarding our lives and allowing us to take on new challenges and learn new things. And basically, we read one of those books every single week, give you guys our key notes, whether it was worthwhile or not, leave it on the bookshelf, take it off, and uh, you can kind of decide for yourself. So thank you guys for joining us this week. We'll also talk a little bit about what's happening in the markets uh, and just some basic stuff and um, in, in the financial markets and cryptocurrencies, real estate. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about what's happening in the real estate market. And uh, Ross, I mean, give us kind of the, the basic overview of, of what we're noticing in the, in the trends these last couple months or so. Yeah, well, you know, we saw prices hit all-time highs, you know, in the last kind of few months. And then now, you know, as interest rates continue to rise, we're seeing, I think it's about a 20% drop. It's like the largest drop in homeowner prices um, in a long time. And that's really because it's so much harder to get a loan now, right? If you're going to get a loan at 5%, that's a big difference versus getting a loan at 3%. So it really all comes out to um, same money out of pocket. You know, at the end of the day, you know, how much is it costing to own this home? Am I paying more upfront, but the rest is in interest or vice versa? It all kind of equates to the same thing. Um, so you're just seeing drops. So this is a time where, you know, those cash buyers that have been swooping up everything um, are probably going to be loving it. But who knows? Maybe the, their liquidity is getting hurt because of the markets right now. You really don't know. But yeah, it's definitely a time where we're seeing, you know, prices start to sharply drop. Um, I think everything's been dropping. We saw all these tech stocks drop. We saw, you know, the rest of the market drop. Crypto has been down for quite some time. Um, there was a small, you know, 15% or so boost to crypto over the weekend, um, which has kind of reset already. It kind of looked like a little bit of a of a bear trap at that point. But yeah, we're seeing the market kind of shift and change. And I think we're still in that state where everyone's just kind of wondering, you know, is this a good time to buy? Is, is Should I wait? Should I sell? Um, and I was actually talking to someone the other day and I was telling him about, you know, when it comes to buying a home, if you're looking to buy a home for, you know, let's say you want to start a family and you want to raise your kids there and you really can see a home here, then the price doesn't matter, right? Buy it, it'll be worth more in the future than what you bought it for now. And if it's the right place for you guys, then do it. Now, if you're someone who's looking to buy this property and invest in it to flip it or sell it, it may not be the best time. There's a lot of different factors going on right now. Um, But we're seeing a lot of things reset. I think they even talked about the price of lumber is starting to reset back down. And that was crazy high, um, you know, over a year ago where we saw issues. But I don't know. Is there anything that you've been seeing specifically, whether in real estate or just in the markets in the last kind of week or so that's kind of stuck out to you? Well, I think what's stuck out to me over the last few months in regards to markets as a whole is, you know, they act so sporadically because we don't really know how to be financially responsible to a certain extent. So I feel as though a lot of what's happening right now is a perfect correlation to what had happened in the last six to eight months where prices have been insane, right? And just skyrocketing um, cost of living, skyrocketing expense, um, uh, you know, overall pay, price for homes, 
um, especially where we live here in Southern California, and people going in directions that might not necessarily be supported by their current means. Um, and I think that because of that, now we're going to see this crazy flip-flop from having homes that were selling for over $100,000 over the sticker price of the home uh, at, you know, in a bidding-type situation between different uh, customers that wanted to purchase the home to now having a situation where nobody's going to be able to get financed because the financing rates are going to go and throw everything out of whack when it comes to the risk assessments for how uh, you know mortgage uh, mortgages are, are are provided to cus- to consumers you know so i think it's going to be very interesting to see who is going to be eligible to purchase homes and ha- and whether you know anyone's really going to be able to to afford to get into a home in the next few years based off of the economy and what's happening. And also, it'll be really interesting to see how home prices are going to start start to get pinched in the next, you know, few years, you know, probably seeing the, the you know, that middle market position getting kind of the brunt or the, the, the grunt of the of the force up front, right? Like we're probably homes in the half million to, you know, million five range are, are going to start to see a compression um, in the market, especially at least in the Los Angeles area based off of, you know, some, some conversations I've had with people in the industry. Um, you know, we're going to start to see some, some compressions probably in those, uh, those categories because uh, of the fact that, you know, it's going to be extremely difficult to secure financing, which is going to make, selling these properties extremely difficult, which is going to put in a lot of, a lot of people in negative equity positions. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out and whether we'll, we'll, we'll start to see an exodus or, or people, you know, defaulting and, and, you know, foreclosing and short selling their homes, um, or whether we're going to be able to be resilient. And as we continue to move forward through, you know, this more uncharted territory, right. Uh, of inflation and kind of this perfect storm of, of what happened after COVID because of COVID through COVID, right? Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how people come back and are able to secure assets and are able to build lives together. Um, you know, so I, I, I think it'll be really interesting as a whole. And if you have cash, great time to get into real estate. <laughs> Otherwise, it's going to be a little difficult to uh, to buy some stuff in the near future here. But you know, uh, there's always opportunity. If you look deeply enough, you'll always find the right deal somewhere. Um, so I guess I wouldn't. I would say don't let the market deter you from from making moves. But as a whole, it's going to be a interesting space for real estate and for the financial markets uh, as we kind of correct with what's happened in the last few years with, uh, with COVID. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think, you know, I had a conversation with someone this weekend because um, we were talking about stocks and they were asking um, about crypto and they were asking how, you know, how my portfolio is doing. And I told them truthfully, you know, a lot of it is, is down I'm on my crypto, you know, and I think it's a pretty, well-made portfolio as far as being risk adverse and being diverse as well. Uh, I think I'm down probably in total about probably 50%. Um, and some people, when they hear that, they go, oh my God, you know, that's how, how do you maintain? And I think, 
you know, what I was telling them was essentially, you know, stick to your plan. You know, when, when I invest, I think of, you know, how long I want to keep my money in. And it's for most of the time, three to five years on average. Um, so you just have to be able to kind of just find a way to disconnect yourself. I think, you know, more and I can, can be, you know, attest to it. Like the market's been bad, but it doesn't affect our daily life essentially. And we'll talk about this more as we get into the book, but you know, it doesn't affect our daily life as much because we didn't put our whole life savings in. We didn't, you know, leverage funds or, or, you know, buy a bunch of options or whatever it can be um, to try to make money quickly or whatever. You know, this is something where we knew we were buying in a market where everything was good. You know, if you're buying when everything's green, it's going to eventually flip and, and things happen. So, you know, for me to only be down 50, you know, I feel pretty grateful. All my stuff is still in a good spot. I look at it like I can buy more of what I, you know, what I wished I would have been able to purchase at, you know, over a year ago or maybe probably six months before I started. But I think at the end of the day, you know, it's going to get crazier, you know, whether it goes up or down. I think just understanding, you know, what your plan is and then also understanding, you know, if you believe in the company, you believe in the leadership, you believe in their goal, um, it's never really a bad time to buy. You know, if, if it goes up, what's the difference between buying something at $38 and buying something at $42 if you believe that it's going to get to 100 in, you know, five, six years? So, I think when you're watching this, you know, stick to your plan. Uh, try not to get emotional. If you're looking to, to save up money, save up money. If you're looking to get into real estate, get into real estate. If you're thinking you want a dollar cost average into some of the investments that are down at this point and get in and kind of help recoup some of those losses, go for that. But I think sticking to your plan is one of the most important things that people can do because people um, get so emotional. And I'll actually save some of this for for when we dive into the book, but I think it's just important to try to understand those relationships and then it makes the entire, you know, road, I would say, of, of investing feel a lot more manageable. You know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. Uh, I would completely agree with you when, where you're coming from on that. Um, and with that being said, I mean, do we, do we want to get into the book? We can hop in? Yeah, let's do it. All right, sounds good. So this week we read a book called The Wisdom of Finance by uh, Mahir A. Desai. Uh, and you know, 10,000 foot view, I thought it was very intriguing, actually. Um, not what you would expect from a finance book. It was actually, uh, basically a book dedicated to creating correlation and, um, drawing lines between different experiences in life and, and to a certain extent, humanizing finance. Wouldn't you say Ross? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it was it was really quite a special book, honestly. I, I think it was uh, really valuable from the perspective of understanding that finance is more than just numbers in in sense. There's there's truly people and organizations and you know thought processes behind all of those numbers. And when you move and shift and adjust those numbers as for example, a stockbroker would, or someone on the, uh, you know, sitting on the, on the floor on wall street, right? Like we make engagements with the markets, right? And they shift and adjust and react just like human beings do 
when they're in relationship, when they're doing business together, when, you know, they're operating in the world. And I think that it was really an interesting perspective and a really valuable kind of notch in the tool belt almost, I guess you could say, in the way that you look at finance, right? Because it, it reminds you to bring it down to a human component, a human element, and, and understand it from the perspective of people and relationships and not just numbers and sense, which is actually really interesting that he brings it up because now I'm just making this correlation. A couple weeks ago, we wrote a book called Principles with Ray Dalio, and, and I feel like it was a very similar message. Yeah, I'd agree. I think there were a lot of similarities. And I think, you know, I was talking about this on a previous episode, and it might have honestly been that Ray Dalio one, which well, I was saying how we've gotten to a point with the stock market. And I think, you know, the book really talked a lot about, you know, how people see Wall Street as a completely separate world or entity, right, where it's very secretive, and it's, it's so different, but yet it really controls a lot of our lives. Um, and I think it's interesting how we're in a place now where, you can go on, you know, Instagram or TikTok and you have some, you know, 18-year-old kid telling you about his how he's investing and this and that and they're they're showing you charts and they're doing all this stuff but anyone in finance will tell you the technical analysis really is is BS, right? For the most part. It, it, there's really no strong correlation in being able to determine if a company's going to go up or down based on that. And I think we're just in a place where, you know, people have been handcuffed, right? People have not been given you know, access or the ability to really learn about stocks or investing, right? No one ever took a class in high school about, you know, taxes. And they don't teach you a lot of this for a reason because it, for the wealthy, it doesn't serve them for you to have all this extra knowledge, right? So now we're in a place where we've realized we kind of have to teach ourselves because now we have access to these tools with companies like Robinhood or Fidelity, all these companies that will now offer you commission-free trading, which was not a thing if you went back, you know, five, 10 years ago. So I think it's just a time where now people are getting access to this and they're they're trying to figure out the best way to navigate it. But we're in this phase where people think that watching a few videos and this and that makes them a professional trader. And I think people need to understand in any industry, right, the professionals, the people who've been doing it for a long time, one, have more knowledge, they have more experience on you, but they also have a lot more resources. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't get these same resources, but the charts that you're looking at and the information you're looking at is going to be way different than what someone on Wall Street's looking at because they have not only more, you know, something as simple as softwares, right? They got more data that they're able to read through to make the right decision, and then they got more capital to play with knowing it's not their own, and they're able to move the market. So the retail investor, for the most part, will always be at a disadvantage if you're trying to play the trading game right? You're not really in a place where you're going to be able to maximize too much. And that's why I always get annoyed where um, I saw a TikTok two days ago, which is what made me think of it. And someone was saying like, if you had your job, you make X amount of dollars and instead you should be, you know, investing that um, and shake it in becoming a day trader and trade like me. I made X amount of dollars. And me and you and anyone will tell you that, you know, 95% of traders, day traders go broke. I mean, you, one, you need a large amount of capital to start. You need to be not afraid to lose all of it. And anytime you're brand new, who's got the balls to, to put 20, 30 grand up on their new career, quote unquote, right? The same person should take that 30 grand 
and try to start their own business. They got a better shot of success there than they do, you know, being a day trader. So if, if one out of 10 companies fails, then at least you got, you know, 10% chance of making it. So this way, if you're day trading, you only have 5% at that point, it's a much bigger risk. So I think people just need to start understanding, you know, their own skill set and start picking things with a different mindset. I think people look way too short term because there's not really any feasible way for the average person to grow wealth without taking on quite a substantial risk unless they have a good job and are able to really kind of save. But even then, you know, is that based on your college degree? Is that based on your education, your background, you know, where you grew up, how you grew up? There's so many different factors. But I think where we're at now is just a market that is so shifty. And I don't think anyone really knows what to do. You have so many young investors getting in the game and they're so emotional and they see this as their ticket out of poverty where stocks historically do not do that and crypto can but again you're taking a big risk because you're looking you know not even for a top 10 top 50 maybe even not top 100 coin you know you're looking for some small one that's going to 1000x and hope that your you know 100 dollars turns into a crap ton of money so it's i don't know it's just a crazy time to watch what people are doing with their money and everyone's so light you know people are so happy to put their money into doge when it's good and then they'll be the same people that come and complain to me when their Google stock is down 20%. It's like, what do, you, what do you want? What is your goal? No one's really teaching them these things. And a lot of the info they're getting are, are young people. And you've seen them. People that are, are giving out financial advice, or not financial advice, but still financial advice online about all these stocks. And they probably only have maybe three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000 invested in the market. Like, you shouldn't be giving anyone any advice. You've been doing this for six months. What do you know? You know, so I don't know. This book was great just because it kind of talked on that relationship and how no one's really kind of given that knowledge. You know, you more you, you I've for me, I grew up around this. You grew up, you know, your family does more real estate than mine. But, you know, you've taken the time to kind of learn all this. And I think, you know, you're a testament to what can happen if someone takes the time to kind of learn and and kind of build upon this. Um is there any, you know, advice or anything that this book kind of made you think about when you look at your own kind of personal financial journey? Well, yeah, I think I think what it really did was it allowed me to be able to see different things in my life as a correlation and analogy for things that happen in finance, uh, mergers and acquisitions for um, you know, the way that you create contracts, uh, how you can create analogies between that and like relationships or marriage. It gives a new spin. It gives a different perspective that allows you, excuse me, to have a more holistic view of the markets as a whole, as well as look at stocks, indexes, um, investment opportunities, in a different way, right? Like you can, you can, you look at them from the perspective of, um, you know, how, how does this fit in the form of relationship? Right. And, uh, I think it's super valuable. And I think the biggest, the, the biggest takeaway for me is, is, is thinking of finance as a more human entity, uh, and not just dollars and cents. Cause I think that once, we truly wrap our heads around the concept of the humanity around finance. It, it makes for better logical decision-making 
when it comes to choosing investments. Any key takeaways for you? Any last thoughts, Ross? No, I think, um, yeah, I said it earlier, but I got it from this book, which was pretty much, you know, just a simple way of saying it. You know, if you believe in the company and you believe in their leadership and you believe in their goals, um, then buy it. You know, be be a, part, a quote unquote co-owner in this company. Right. And I think that's the way that people need to look at it instead of looking at charts going, oh, it's been going down for a while. It's about due to go up. You know, it's like going to a roulette table just because it hit, you know, 11 five times in a row doesn't mean that it's not going to hit 11 again or vice versa. So I think start building out a plan, right? If you want to put a lot into crypto, it's more risky than maybe get some other money and put it in an index fund or look at some of the big companies like an Apple, um, a Google, or even go Coca-Cola like Warren Buffett and try to focus more on building a diverse portfolio that that's structured in a way that, you know, gets your risk to a tolerant level so that if you do have, you know, investments going down, some of them will be less affected, right? So I think that is a bigger thing that people need to focus on because that will keep them protected in the most part for the future. If you've picked good companies that are strong, it should all go up in the in the future. But I think Taking a little bit more of that Gary V patience and just putting it into your investment strategy will really do you a, a good amount of uh, help. Or the advice I also gave, um, same person this weekend, was what could be easy is to have two accounts. Have one account be your trading account, so short term, a year or less, um, or things you're looking to get in and out quickly, but then have another one that is your long term, the one that you barely ever log into, maybe money's automatically going in there. And just leave that. So if you want to make money, be more risk, uh, <coughs> excuse me, take more risk with your trading account, do it. But at least you'll have on the back end something that's slowly growing year over year. That at the end of three years, if your trading didn't do anything, you may have offset your losses because you, your other account did very well. So that could be another tip too. And with that being said, guys, thank you so much for joining us this week on this episode of Market Today. My name is Moore Milo. And I'm Ross Sinarelli. This was Market Today, and we will see you guys next week. Take care.